Jesus trembled with pain on the cross for you. And while that statement may cause you to tremble, let it also bring about a deep gratitude within. Jesus willingly went to the cross for you and for your sin. Jesus trembled on the cross and lay dead in the tomb to finish the work of salvation for you. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus turns trembling into triumph. You heard the story of Casey Hathaway, uh, a child that went missing in January of 2019. Now, it was a story of Casey that he was with his grandmother in the rural home she lived at in North Carolina. And it, it was a, a matter like we have seen happen many times, right? A child, a three-year-old child, one minute he's there, and the next he just seems to have vanished. He's gone. For two straight days, an army of volunteers and rescue personnel went looking for this little boy, calling over, Casey, Casey, Casey. And during that time, to make matters worse, the first day there was a torrential rainstorm. The rain just kept pouring and pouring down. And the second day, the temperature plummeted below freezing. It was a dire situation. There were few people who predicted that a three-year-old child could survive such extremes. Yet amazingly, after two days of intense searching, a neighbor who was walking her dog heard a faint cry from the woods. When the dog alerted, she ran, and they quickly found little three-year-old Casey tangled and trapped in a thick patch of briars. He was rushed to the hospital in surprisingly good condition. When asked about his two nights in the woods, Casey told a bizarre story. He told us that his new best friend, a bear, was with him to keep him warm and to keep him safe. Now, while the family admits they're not sure how accurate Casey's version of the events might have been, it's not the first time such a tale has been told. In fact, in 1888, the New York Times reported the disappearance of a two-year-old girl who was found alive in a deep valley, where she claimed she had slept by a bear that kept her warm in the night. And then again, in 1955... Two-year-old Ida Mae Curtis went missing in the Kootenai National Forest in Montana. She was located after two days of pouring rain. And she explained she had been cuddled and comforted by a bear during her time away. Man, I love a great story. And I love stories like that that, that are amazing stories, a happy ending, and, and they're almost too good to be true. They even have elements that seem incredible. I love a great story. I don't know about you, I don't know how you feel about stories and what you enjoy, but, but one of the, the, the best storytellers that I've ever heard is Jesus. He told amazing stories. I mean, think about this. Think about these stories. You know his stories. The story of the prodigal son, who doesn't know that story? You know it. The son that gets to come back to his father. The story of the good Samaritan. These are stories that have stuck with us for our whole life. The widow who gave her last might. And the parable of the talents, to name just a few. And as great as the stories that Jesus told were, 
The story that Jesus lives is an even greater story. A story of living, of dying, and living again. Now that's a powerful story indeed. It's a story that upends everything because it's not just a story. It's a true story. It's a factual story. Jesus defeated death. You know, for millennia, all of humanity has understood that the grave is an inescapable prison, the destiny of us all. But then Jesus entered the story. He entered our story. And he does the incredible. He does what was thought to be impossible. He conquers death itself, and in doing so, he offers us life, the abundant life, eternal life, everlasting life. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus made a way for life. Consider the words he spoke to his disciples in John chapter 14. He said this to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I'll come back. I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And these are these awesome words of Jesus. Jesus answered and said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's a pretty amazing verse. But you know the truth is, a lot of people struggle with that verse. My colleague in ministry at Central Christian Church, Las Vegas, Judd Wilhite, shared a story about receiving a very challenging question related to this verse. There was a woman in his congregation who was a genuinely compassionate person. She was empathetic and kind-hearted, but she was having a very hard time considering and thinking about a God who would not allow devout believers from other religions to enter into heaven. She asked the question this way to Judd. Judd, shouldn't Hindus and Muslims and Shintoists and Zoroastrians and adherents of all the other religions and cults and isms, shouldn't they have a place in heaven? Who's to say that Christianity has the only key to heaven? It's a question a lot of people have asked. Judd's response was written in the book called Why, that he co-authored with Lee Strobel. It's a fascinating book. If you have similar struggles with the Christian faith, I encourage you to read the book. Here's the answer that Judd gave as an excerpt in the book. He said to her, The issue of Christ being the one and only way to heaven must be settled on fact. It can't be settled on empathetic thinking or wishful or wistful thought. 
For there is one historical fact, one historical event that distinguishes the Christian faith from all other religions. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Aside from Christ, the bones of every founder of all religions throughout history are to this day in an earthly grave. But the body of Jesus, confirmed dead by the Roman crucifixion, placed in a well-guarded and heavily sealed rock tomb, that body is nowhere to be found. For three days after his burial, the tomb was discovered empty. At first, his followers were dumbfounded, confused, but then they remembered what Jesus had said, his own predictions about his death and resurrection. And once they realized that Jesus had conquered death, they and future generations of his followers have been willing to die for him rather than, rather than to renounce him. I don't know if you realize this, the Bible presents over 17 eyewitness accounts of the resurrection, individuals who saw the risen Christ. And some of these individuals chose death rather than to change their testimony about having seen the risen Jesus. Now, I accept that there are many people in this world who have died because of a lie. Someone has misled them, and it costs them their life. But friends, it's hard to imagine a person being willing to die for something they know is inherently false and untrue, a known lie. These Christian believers were so convinced that they had seen the resurrected Jesus, that it was a real event, that they were willing to face the jaws of ravenous lions rather than deny Jesus. They faced crucifixion, the burning pyre, and even the rack of torture, but nothing could dissuade them from following, serving, and telling others about the risen Christ. It was something they were willing to do because they knew Jesus had done what he had said he would do. He had conquered the grave. He had made a way for us to conquer it as well. You see, Jesus is the way maker. He is the one who made the way, and he calls all people to follow him. He is the only one who backed up his claims by the miracle of the resurrection. It is the resurrection that proves Jesus is who he said he was. It proves that his word is true. So friends, if Jesus says he's the only way, well, then he is the only one worthy to make that claim. And his word must be true. This is why we trust him when he says things like, I am the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. And because of the resurrection, we accept his word when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the resurrection makes all the difference in fact, Christianity itself will either survive or fall on the single event of the resurrection. It was at the very center of the gospel message preached by the disciples and the apostles. The resurrection is the central message of the Bible and the New Testament. 
Paul said it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and following, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. In fact, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And Paul adds this for his audience when he wrote it, most of whom are still living. He was saying, if you don't believe me, go ask them. They saw him. Though some of them have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he also appeared to me as one abnormally born. Paul understands the resurrection of Jesus is what makes all the difference. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And in verse 18, If Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. But the hope-filled verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, so that we see Paul believed and we can believe the resurrection's no fairy tale, it's not a myth, it's a verifiable fact. It was witnessed by hundreds of people. And the resurrection is what sets Jesus apart from anyone else who has ever lived. It's what designated him as the very Son of God. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Regarding his Son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we receive grace. He did it all for us. And what God did for Jesus, he also wants to do for you and for me. Consider these words from Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those who are disobedient. All of us at one time lived among them, gratifying the cravings of the flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised, God raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. 
The gift of God is right here in front of us today, this Easter weekend, but it's, us, it's up to us to accept it. We can claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, yet sadly today, the saddest fact of this day is there are millions of people who have yet to claim this gift that God has for them in Jesus. I have to tell you something, as I was preparing for this sermon, it struck me that I'd heard something about that phrase, unclaimed. I remembered it came from something I heard on the radio, so I went to a website called indianaunclaimed.com. Have you seen this? It's a place you can go to see if you have money that's due you from some other source and, and see what happens. Now, I was disappointed. I searched my addresses and my name, and no, no one's got any money out there for me. That wasn't the case. My wife, however, she does have one check out there waiting for her if she claims it for $7.50 from the Indiana BMV. I mean, that's pretty exciting. But here was the really exciting part of the unclean.gov thing or .com. My son, one of my sons, he had two entries that said more than $100 coming to you and one that said $68 and something, $268. So I figured he can buy lunch today and my wife can pay for the gas. <laughs> Unclaimed. You got to claim it to get it. So why don't people claim the gift? Why don't people claim the gift of the resurrection? The gift of eternal life? For some people, it feels undeserved. I've been here long enough, in 25 years, I've sat in the counseling room with too many people who've said this phrase, Pastor Marty, you just don't know what I've done. God could never forgive me. Maybe you've said those words. Others have speculated that it's just too easy. You've heard this before. If you work for something, you'll appreciate it more. That's how they feel. Others have said it seems too good to be true, and I learned growing up, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. But there are more serious reasons people reject it. Others reject Jesus because they don't like the things they think Christians believe, or worse yet, because they've had a personal bad experience with Christians in the church. And still there are others who can't get past an anger at God because they experienced a tragedy. They prayed that the outcome would be different, and they didn't get the outcome that they wanted. And so they're angry with God. They feel like God let them down. If God couldn't answer my prayer for my dad or my husband or my child, why should I, why should I trust him? And so in their anger, they refuse to accept his gift. But friends, Jesus continues to offer, to offer them and to offer us a way home. Listen, if you've struggled with the church, let me tell you this. Jesus also had a beef with religious leaders in his day. But he still obeyed God. Feel forsaken and let down like God let you down? Jesus cried out from the cross, God, why did you forsake me? But then he returned to his father. As for salvation being easy, well, Jesus certainly made it easier, but it wasn't easy for him. And as for being undeserving, well, yeah, 
You're right. I may not know what you've done, but God does. And he loves you anyway. He loves me anyway. That's why they call it grace. And as for being too good to be true, it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? And yet that's the beauty. Jesus rose. Today he says these words to you. Hear his words. Hear him say to you, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Several years ago, I received a book from my wife's aunt, and uh, it sat on my shelves. Didn't read it for a long time. When I finally opened the book, she had put check marks next to different chapters and passages and stories that she found particularly inspiring or important. The book was by Max Lucado called No Wonder They Call Him Savior. And there's a story that had gotten several check marks in her book. It had a lot of underlining, and I appreciated the story. It was a story that was told about a woman in Brazil named Maria. When Maria was a young mother and and wife, her husband passed away unexpectedly. And in rural Brazil, she had to raise a daughter by herself. She wasn't a well-educated woman, and she didn't have a lot of means, and, and so it was a difficult circumstance for her, but she took in laundry, and she cleaned homes, and, and she made it work, and she was raising her daughter, Christiana. Now, I'm, I'm told that in Brazil, uh, there is a place that, that just seems like a magnet for the youth. It's a place of decadence and partying and reveling and no rules and all kinds of craziness called Rio de Janeiro. And, of course, Maria was not unaware that her daughter, Christiana, thought, man, if I just go there, life's going to be great. So she told her daughter, Christiana, listen to me. That is not a place you want to go with no prospects, no job, no money. You don't want to be there. It'll put you in a bad circumstance. She cautioned her daughter over and over about that place the challenges that it would provide. But it didn't matter. At 16, a lot of young people think their parents just don't know what they're talking about, and that was certainly certainly Christiana. And so she took off for Rio de Janeiro one evening while her mother was asleep. She left a note. Her mother knew what had happened, and she wept, and she prayed. And she gathered up all the money that she had. And she left for Rio de Janeiro to try to find her daughter. She knew the difficulties that would wait a child, a young 16-year-old there. She tried to find places where she thought her daughter might go, but as she went place to place, it became very obvious that the single 16-year-old girls in Rio de Janeiro were typically prostitutes. So she went to the places where they hung out. She had stopped by a copy store and made as many copies as she could of a picture of herself, of of the mom, of Maria. She had taken these photos and she had written a note on the back of every single picture. And as she went to all of these places where teenage runaways would most likely be, 
She would stick the picture up on the corner of a mirror in a, a women's room, someplace there where she thought her daughter might see it. She hoped she'd find her, but after she had expended all of her means and had just enough money to go back home, she finally had to leave Rio without her daughter. It was two months later that Christiana descended the staircase from one of those places. She saw the picture of her mother. She walked over and took it, turned it over, and saw these words written on the back. Christiana, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, you're still my child. I love you. Please come home. And friends, I want you to understand that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he made a way back home for us. We, like little Casey, might feel stuck in the briars and the brambles. We might feel lost. But today he calls to you by name. He's calling. Come home. Come home. Come home. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not accepted his invitation, if you've not accepted his gift, then I want you to accept it today. Knowing that if Jesus sets you free, friend, you will be free indeed. Whatever decision you have to make, we make it now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.